Well, good morning. It is a it is a good morning, uh, for sure. And it is good to to be able to be gathered in the house of the Lord. If you have your Bibles with you, you can go ahead and open them to Acts chapter 4. And this morning we are going to be looking at uh, verses uh, 1 through 12. I'm going to read those 12 verses and then we will... uh, I'm going to pray... The scripture says, and as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. And many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, God, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I would say the title of today's message is, There's No Other Name. Father, this morning I want to come before you, and I pray, God, that, Lord, as we are gathered in the name of Jesus, that this morning that you would get glory for yourself. That, God, that you would fill me, you would empower me with the Holy Spirit, Father. That the words that are spoken, they wouldn't go out in just emptiness. God, that they would fully accomplish your purpose and your plan. I pray for those that are here this morning that know you, that, God, that they would be encouraged would become bold to proclaim Christ to a lost world. And I want to pray for those that are sitting here this morning, God, that that may not know you, that are struggling with whether they really know you or not, that, Father, that, that, God, that you would work a mighty work in them, God, and bring them to yourself. And I also want to pray this morning that you would be with Dustin and Hannah and, and his, both their families, but his, so in particular this morning, 
in a time of, of loss, a time of what we would consider tragedy. We want to pray for grace. We want to pray, Father, that in the midst of this trial, God, that, that, the, that they would have a peace that this world does not understand. And we pray, God, that you would get glory for yourself out of this, things that are so hard for us to understand. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So what is going on in chapter 4 at the beginning of this? Well, what has happened is, in the beginning of chapter 3, Peter and John were going down to the temple to pray at 3 in the afternoon. And at precisely the same time, a, a crippled man was being carried by, no doubt, family members to come and beg for alms. So what you call those divine appointments. Peter and John were simply going to pray. This man was simply going to beg for alms. And as Peter and John were about to enter into the temple, this man, he just asked for alms. But Peter looks at him and he tells him to look at them. And he says, I don't have any silver, I don't have any gold, but what I do have, I'll give to you. And he said, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus. And that man took Peter's hand and he stood up and for the first time in his life, he began to walk. Not only that, he began to jump and rejoice and for the first time ever in his life, he was able to enter into the temple, a place that he had never been allowed to go to because of his infirmity. And by that, you'll find it all through the book of Acts that these miracles were not performed for the sake of just performing miracles, but these miracles always happened with the outcome to be a a, a platform to proclaim the gospel. And that is where we come into chapter 4. Peter is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to these Jews because when a man walks into your your assembly who you knew for all these years, had been outside begging. And this guy's he had to stand out. He was the only guy jumping up and down in there. He was the most excited man in the building. And people came and said, what in the world is going on? And Peter begins to preach and proclaim the gospel. Now, I want you to know something, church, that any time that the, the gospel is being proclaimed, as you further this, you, 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 you're taking it into places where it's not been before, there's always going to come opposition. So, if you're taking notes, you can just kind of do this. Verses 1 through 4, you can call it the opposition to the gospel. And then 5 through 7, you can put that the, the apostles were put on trial. And then 8 through 12, we see Peter's third sermon, the preaching of the gospel again. So, let's look at verses 1 through 4. He says, and as they were speaking to the people, at this point, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. So what you have is this. The people are listening. Now, when we're talking about they were preaching and the people were listening, we're talking about just the common people, just the Jews. But what happened when this was taking place? Well, the men who felt like they had the rule, the men who felt like they were the ones that God had given the authority to proclaim and to teach others who God was and to teach the law of God, what do they want to do? They want to come and they want to shut this down. The captain of the temple, he would have been like this right under the high priest. So he comes in with the Sadducees. Now the Sadducees 
were the, they made most of the, of the Sanhedrin, which the Sanhedrin, we'll talk about that in a minute, but the Sanhedrin was the, the 70 member council that was the leaders of the Jews, okay? Most of those were made up of the Sadducees. Now look what it says next. It says in verse 2, it says, They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So here, here's the thing. Um, let's see if I can find my notes. I never can keep up very well. I probably won't use my notes after all. That's going to mess me up pretty bad. So here's the thing. Why is it, why is it that they were greatly annoyed at the teaching of the people because they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead? Well, first of all, the Sadducees, they rejected the resurrection. They did not believe in a resurrection. So the majority of your council, they bought into that, that there was no resurrection. So that's a problem, isn't it? If these guys are over here teaching this, then that's a real problem. But the bigger issue was this. They're teaching this in the name of Jesus. Their message was this, that Jesus had rose from the dead, which not only contradicted their teaching, but there was a much larger problem at hand. If this were true, then the very one that they had accused of blasphemy, that they had put on trial for claiming to be God, and they had put to death, if this man rose from the dead, then he was exactly who he claimed to be. And when that happens, you've got to realize that at that point, they have realized that they have just put to death the Messiah. And so what happens next is this. They arrested them and they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. That's amazing when we have opponents, isn't it? When the, when the truth is being proclaimed and people can't withstand the wisdom of God. Now listen, there's often times that you'll find this. You'll be in a, a conversation. It might be amongst, we'll just keep it in the confines of Christianity, okay? And there may be differing beliefs, differing opinions. Some of those are, are, are non-salvific issues. Some, though, are what we would call essential doctrines. And this is what I found, that when you're putting the word out and you're just explaining what God is saying, people get mad. People try to talk over you. People try to shut you down. The church I used to belong to, that if you were preaching things like the grace of God is how we're saved, they would stand up and physically shut the meeting down on you. What do we see right here? Instead of instead of having a time of debate or whatever, what do they do? They have them arrested. you got to ask, what are the charges that they were arrested on? I mean, now you got to keep in mind, who did they arrest? Well, they arrested Peter and John. They were there. But they also arrested the man who had been crippled, and now he is healed. They put him in jail. What is the crime this man has committed? But he's in with them, you know. So they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Now, why did they do that? Well, temple sacrifices were finished for the day. The temple was closed. So they put him in jail. They're going to wait for tomorrow that business is open, you know, where you can put people on trial. But look what happened while they were able to preach. 
It says, but many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Church, we must proclaim audibly the good news of Jesus Christ. It does not say that Peter and John went and they lived such a spectacular Christian life that about 5,000, or the total number was now about 5,000 because we lived in such a Christian way that people were converted. That's not how it happened. Matter of fact, his preaching was not exactly politically correct. All through his sermons, he turns it back and he says, this Jesus whom you crucified, who you put to death, This isn't like what you would call, you know, this warm, fuzzy preaching to get an altar call, you know, mood music to get people to come. No, it was the truth of the good news. In order to understand good news, you must first understand some bad news. And here's the bad news. If you don't know Jesus Christ today as your Savior and you die today, you're going to go to hell. God's not sitting here trying to bargain with you. God is commanding repentance. He's commanding you to turn from your sins and put your faith in Christ. This isn't some child's game that we're playing here. He sent His Son into the world to die for ungodly sinners like me and you. That we may have eternal life. He's not just sitting over there as some kind of grandpa figure that people like to speak of begging for you because you've got some God-shaped hole in your heart. I don't have any clue where stuff like that comes from. But it does not come from Scripture. It does not come from the preaching that the apostles preached with. And it does not come from the preaching that Jesus preached with. The point is this. Faith comes by hearing The message must be proclaimed. The the time for, I'm I'm just shy. The time for, I'm I'm just afraid to do this. I'm, I'm afraid of persecution. Listen, that time is way behind us. I'm just, I just gotta just share this with you. It's time as Paul talked this morning about simply working with your hands. It is time for us as Christians to grow up and be the people who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody ever said it was going to be easy except Joe Osteen, him and a few other thousand false teachers. The gospel invitation is an invitation to come and die. It's to come and lose your life for the the sake of Christ. It's an invitation to come and take up your cross and follow him. It is not an invitation to fulfill the American dream and and add Christianity to your life. That is not what the gospel is about. So they've been put in prison. But in the meantime, there's more and more people coming to saving faith. I mean, these rulers of Israel, they can't stop what God is doing. So in verse 5, he says, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes, they gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Now I want you to think about this. They're gathered. They've been, look, it says, and, and they, and when they had set them in the midst, they inquired. 
Now, you know, we can read these things and we can think lightly of it, but I want you to think for a moment, what if it was me and, and you and one other person in this building and we were put in prison or jail overnight? And then we were put on trial and all of the, the Sanhedrin was gathered around us. All of the high priest family was gathered and they're not happy. They are very angry with us. Would you be bold? Would you cower down? Would you cave to the pressure? What do you think you would do? Do you know this happens today in other parts of the world? It is amazing to me the arrogance of the American Christian, myself included. We think we know better. We think we know more. We have more access, which most of that is true. We may have a better theological understanding. We may have a better doctrinal position. But there's not one of us in here that's ever had their life threatened for being a Christian. You heard, most of you, if you were here Thursday, you heard Godwin's testimony. I didn't get to hear it this time, but the first time. I've never came into my bedroom late at night after becoming a Christian and having my uncle and my brother want to slit my throat because I'm a believer in Christ. I've never experienced anything like that. But if you think for a moment it can't happen in America, you are deceived. That day will come, I can almost guarantee it. When it's going to be similar to this. So they're, they're gathered, they have the, the, the council, the Sanhedrin. He talks about Annas. Annas was actually Caiaphas's father-in-law. Caiaphas was, he was officially the high priest, but Annas, everybody knew he was the guy kind of, kind of still guiding Caiaphas and what he did. John, most people feel like it was Annas's son, or it could have been another guy named Jonathan who ended up being the, the leader of the, of the synagogue after the, the fall in, in 70 AD. Nobody knows who Alexander was. But it says, but when they had set them in the midst, they inquired and they asked this question. By what power or by what name did you do this? Now, I will tell you right now that they knew exactly what name that they were preaching in. What they were doing, it wasn't done in a dark corner. When the day of Pentecost happened, they knew what had happened. When they rushed in here, no doubt people had come and said, you've got to check this out. Those, those guys that are preaching Jesus, they've healed a man. He's, he's walking and he's in the temple and, and they're in there proclaiming the gospel. It kind of reminds you of when Jesus, a couple occasions, do, you, do you, anybody know who the scribes were? The scribes were like the theological lawyers of the day. They were the guys who studied the word. They were the guys who transcribed the word. They were the guys who were taught. They, they taught even the, the priests and such. They were the guys that really knew their stuff. So you wanted these guys around when there was a big theological debate going on. You see, when Jesus healed a man one time, he did it on the Sabbath day. And they came and they wanted to put him to death because he had broke the Sabbath. You see, they, they studied the law out so much, they knew the law in detail, but they missed the spirit of the law. Jesus told him this, he said, you'll circumcise a child on the eighth day, even if the eighth day is a Sabbath in order to keep that, but you'll break the Sabbath. You can't see that. 
I mean, you, 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 you don't have no question over that, but here's a man who's been healed on the Sabbath day and you, and you think I've sinned. You think I should be put to death. Another time he healed a blind man on the Sabbath. It was like Jesus just intentionally picked the Sabbath out. He healed a blind man. And I love that story when you read it. I mean, if you read it and you just think, I mean, people are looking at this blind man. He'd been blind from birth. And this guy's, now he can see. And man, he's walking around. Everybody's, they're all looking at him like, kind of looks like the blind dude. Yeah, it kind of does, you know. And they're like, well, it can't be him because he's blind. He's like, no, man, it's me. I mean, really, do we not know it's the same guy? I mean, I think everybody here is distinct enough that we would know. If Randy was blind and he's not blind, I'm not going, that blind guy had a big beard, but I just don't know. Does that is that him? And he's like, yeah, it's me. It's amazing how in so much effort to to know the law, to teach the law, to, to all of these things that they missed the spirit of what God was trying to tell them. He tells them in one place, he says, if your ox falls in a ditch on the Sabbath day, don't you go get him out? How much more if somebody was crippled or blind that he was healed on the Sabbath day, how much more should you rejoice in that than the fact that your ox is saved for your livelihood? Do we not have that today in reform circles? Oh, we've got it down, don't we? Well, we know we, we are the highest in the understanding of doctrine and theology. I'm surprised I even know those words today. You can be so reformed that you miss, you miss Christ. You can be so reformed that you miss the gospel of Jesus Christ, that He came into this world to save sinners. I know people who are in love with the doctrines of grace, but they're not in love with Christ. That's what the scribes were like. These were the, the elite of the elite in the, of the Jews. That's the way they were viewed. And what's their problem today? Well, here's a man that's been crippled his whole life and a, a miracle that there's no explanation other than God did this has happened and yet they've put them on trial and their question is, by what power or by what name have you performed this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, now listen to this, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, and by what means this man has been healed... He says, if that's your question, if you're going to put us on trial... For this, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, now listen to this, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, 
By him, this man is standing before you well. It's amazing that when the gospel is proclaimed, people will want to examine you. They want to put you on trial. But if you look in every one of Peter's sermons, every time Paul preaches, it gets flipped around and they are the ones who are put on trial. I don't think that was because uh, Peter was this genius of a guy that just knew how to flip the tables on him. It says Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. I am a big believer that the Holy Spirit still works and still fills us today. My prayer this morning was this. Lord, these things don't happen. Preaching does not happen because I have studied the passage out. It doesn't happen because I have a good sense of knowledge of what's going on. I have, I've broke down all the words and the word studies. I've got it all being able to explain it. And thank God it ain't happening because I'm an eloquent speaker. My prayer was, Lord, I need to be empowered by your Holy Spirit to proclaim this message this morning. I can get up and talk and it can all be actually right. But we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about some charismatic nonsense. But I'm talking about daily that we're walking in the Spirit, that we're letting the Holy Spirit, it controls our life, that we're putting on kindness, we're loving people, we're being gentle, we're doing the things that would be the fruit of the Spirit. And we're praying and seeking for those opportunities, for those divine appointments. Even if I'm going to work or even if I'm going to the temple at 3 o'clock to pray, that we are always ready to give an answer of the hope that is within us. That we are always looking for those opportunities to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Filled with the Holy Spirit. He's surrounded by all the leaders, all the rulers, the council, the Sanhedrin, the people that will make you tremble when you walk by because they have such authority. And Peter does not back up an inch. He humbly and boldly proclaims Jesus Christ. The question was, by what power or by what name did you do this? In verse 10, he says, Let it be known to all of you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I always found it interesting that he says it also in in chapter 1, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. No doubt there were other people named Jesus. But there was only one that everybody knew that this was Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That was the one that all the controversy surrounded, his birth. Yeah, his mother went to visit her cousin. When she came back, she's she's already expecting with child, and they haven't gotten married, and we don't even really know who his father is. They say it's Joseph, but we don't think so. He was raised up in a way that nobody would think here was a king. He was raised up in a carpenter's home in Nazareth. Nazareth was a city that the saying was, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It was a no good place. So you want to know what the name was by how this has happened? By Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus is his saving name. It's the same name in the Old Testament as Joshua. God is Savior. 
Christ is his messianic. I mean, that's his anointed name. He is the anointed one. He is the unique. I loved how Brother Miles brought out that word unique. You can't be just a unique. He is the unique one. He is the anointed one. When you talk about anointing, you know, it's like you anointed kings, you anointed uh, priests, you anointed uh, prophets. Jesus was prophet, priest, and king. He was the anointed one. He was the one that Israel believed they were looking for. And when he came, they rejected him and put him to death. That's the name. You want to know what power he was raised by? He says, you crucified him, but whom God raised from the dead. Here's the name and here's the power. You'll find the scripture teaches that Jesus was raised by his own power. You'll find that Jesus was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. You'll read where Jesus was raised by God the Father. God raised him from the dead. Now, if you're the Sanhedrin and you hear that preach, they have just told you, Peter has just preached to you, the power that you've got in question, that you've put on trial, is God himself. You want to know the name? It's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You want to know the power? God himself raised him from the dead. I will preach this probably till the day I die. We have to... Listen. We we are so Christianized. We are... In, in all of America, Christian lingo, even if you don't know, if you wasn't raised in church... If you've ever been around any Christians in America, even marginal, we hear about Easter. What was Easter? Well, Jesus, he rose from the dead. And it just simply is nothing. It's maybe barely more than just a a fable or a myth. Why doesn't that shake us to the core? The, the, The unrealness that he he was crucified. He was placed in a tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead. Did you hear Godwin's testimony? Did you hear him preach the gospel? He heard this being preached, this spooky Jesus. He had never heard such things before. He says he was killed and put in a tomb, and and now he's alive. What is this talking about? But in America, it's just, oh, yeah, he rose from the dead. Do you not understand that Christianity, we're the only ones that have a living hope? Think about that. Buddha, where's he? Dead. Muhammad, dead. All the gods of the Hindus, rocks, stumps, dead. Thor, dead. They're all dead. There's only one that makes the audacious audacious claim that says, I'm alive. Come, Thomas. Come over here and touch my hands, Thomas. Feel the prints, the nail prints in my hands. Come over here, Thomas. You say you won't believe until you can feel this? And Thomas says, my Lord and my God, our Jesus rose from the dead. 
God raised him from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. All the Jews at that time, you know who they believed that was speaking of? David. They believed it was referring to King David, the beloved king, the favorite king of Israel. But Peter tells him under the power of the Holy Spirit, this Jesus is that stone. He is that foundation that was rejected by you. I want you to think about something for a moment. Everything about the life of Jesus shouted from the mountaintops, this is Him. This is the one we're waiting on. They had the Scriptures. They claimed to know the Scriptures. If they would have searched hard enough. I always find this amazing. People don't like what I say just because they don't like it. Search the Scriptures. Test what I'm saying. See if it's true. My oldest daughter one day, she said she's in a college class. Said so the professor, out of all things, he says, how many of you in here believe in, in, in predestination? Of Christians. I, I, this is a weird question. She said, one kid raised his hand. I said, what about you? She said, I didn't raise my hand. I said, why not? She goes, I don't know if I believe that. She kind of had an attitude. I was like, okay. I said, well, why don't you believe that? I just don't like it. I said, well, that's not good enough. If you don't like it, that's fine. But you at least study the scriptures and you find out why it's wrong or you find out why you don't like it. But you let the scriptures speak for themselves. And that's what she did. She came to her mom in about three or four days and she said, it is everywhere in here. She came up with places I hadn't even found yet. Search, all they had to do was search. They would have found out where he was born. They would have found out all these prophecies about him. They could have looked when he was doing these miracles. They just said, you know, when, when Nicodemus came at night, and you've heard me say this a million times, we know that you're from God because nobody can do these things you're doing except God is with him. The question he's really asking is, are you the Messiah? Are you the one we're looking for? All they had to do is listen to the words he spoke, saw the healings, how he did things, how he referred to himself, and they should have known who he was. But they were so pompous and arrogant. They said, we refuse to submit. We refuse to bend the knee to you. We are in charge. We are the keepers of the law. We will tell you how it's done. You will respect us. We can see that so easy when you see a little kid I mean, bow up to their daddy. I mean, can you imagine Jericho to Paul? I'll use that because that is a, that's a contrast, right? Can you see that? Little, and I'll guarantee you he'll do it one of these days. He will bow up and do this number right here. And we're all like, this is going to be bad. <laughs> that doesn't even compare to what these Jews did. It does not even compare. This stone, he was rejected by you, the, the builders, which he has become the cornerstone. Everything about a Christian comes off this foundation. Everything. I want you to understand something about you as, as a Christian. 
if you came to Christ to add this, this really good deal that was offered to you, I get to go to heaven, I get to have a, an eternal vacation. I'm just going to add him to my life. You need to re-examine what you think you did. It is quite possible you're not even a believer. Christ did not come to be a part of your life. He came to be your life. Everything that you do, sinners, is focused upon Christ. Paul's message this morning about just work was really convicting. I've stolen from my employers even last week when I was busy. I got mad and like, hey, I'm, we're not, we're not going to do nothing right now. I mean, we were still doing stuff, but we had a bad attitude about it. Everything about our life is Christ. And if you don't got that in your mind, you need to really reevaluate what you're doing and why you're doing it. Christ didn't come to give you a heavenly vacation when this life is over. And if you think your best life now is mansions and jets and things like that, you need to put that book in a fire pit somewhere. Just saying. Because this is what he says. There is, and there is salvation in no one else. The exclusive claim of Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. The definite article every time. I am not a way, a way, a truth, a life. I am the definite article. The genuine thing. I'm not an option amongst many. This is the only way you're going to be saved. And you may be sitting here today, you may be a mild-mannered young person or a a meek older person, and you may be saying, yeah, you know what, I'm going to do things my way. You are acting as a fool. I'll just tell you straight up, God is not, in the words of Paul Washer, He is not to be trifled with. Do you understand that God is angry with the wicked every day? And if you do not know Him, He's angry with you. But in God's anger, He is so loving and compassionate that He is putting off His wrath towards you. And He is pleading through messages just like this. Come, you want your invitation? Here it is. Turn from your sins. Repent. You better agree with what God has said about you. He's, he's not here to bargain with you. He's not here to say, well, I'll give, we'll do and give and take. No, you are a sinner deserving to die and go to hell. And God is offering terms of peace. But they're His terms. And there's only one way of salvation. There's only one name you can be saved by. Oh, people say, oh, people don't go to hell because, because they sin. They go to hell because they've rejected the gospel. That's a lie from the pits of hell. There's a lot of people who've never heard the gospel. They're not going to hell because they rejected the gospel. They're going to hell because they're sinners. Oh, but, but, but that don't seem fair. Surely they can look at the sun and the, and the stars and the moon and everything and know there's a God and worship him the best of their ability. So many people love Billy Graham. I don't want to dog the guy, but you know, he bought into that. Sad. 
tragic. Not true. You can't be saved. You can know there's a God. God has given you that. God has said He's given us two witnesses that we can know there's a God. He's given us an outward witness, creation. He's given us an inner witness, our conscience, that we know there's a God, but that doesn't save a person. It simply testifies against you that you know there's a God and you know you're a sinner because you excuse the very sins you commit even when nobody's around. You can't can't be a Baptist, and that's going to save you. Abraham, they looked to Abraham as our father. Abraham can't save you. Moses was the lawgiver. The law couldn't save you. The law could only show you what God wanted. The law could only point you to the right thing. The law was powerless to help you do it, and all it did at the end when you broke it was it had to condemn you. That's what the law did. People were like, wow, the law was bad. No, the law was good. It showed Your spiritual experience, that's not going to save you. Think about this. Job asked this question. He said, I know it's true. He says, but how can a man be right before God? How can that happen? In Job chapter 9, verse, verses 1 and 2, how can a man be right or how can a man be justified before God? I want you to know something. Everyone in here is going to die someday. It's all guaranteed. So far, 10 out of 10 people have died. Everybody's got a day. Everybody's got a number. When you stand before God, what are you going to offer up? What is going to be your, your, what you present to God based on this? God's going to accept me into His presence forever. Well, I did a lot of good things for people. You're going to hell. Depart from me. There are people, I guess it's a term called, I'm a dyed in the wool Baptist. Is that a term? It's a stupid term. That ain't going to save you. No denominational thing's going to save you. Your church cannot save you. Who your parents were can't save you. How much money you have can't save you. Some people think, I'll become a Christian, I'll give a lot of money in the tithe, and I'm, no, that's not going to save you. Only Christ can save. That's the only name given whereby men can be saved. The only name given under heaven that we can be saved. So what are you going to do with that today? What are your thoughts? I mean, most of you here, I believe, are believers. What are you doing with the name? What are you doing now that you're a Christian? Look, we have a great church. We have, I love this church. There's a, there's a sense of a hunger for, for thirst and righteousness. There's a, there's a hunger for God. There's a desire to go and labor. Don't rest where you're at. Keep going. Man, you, you be like a, a snowball headed downhill, man. You want to be building up momentum and gaining size. Look, look, don't worry about being tired and weary. Don't, don't worry about that. When you get to heaven, you won't even get tired at all. 
That will not happen. I can only imagine what's going through the minds of the Sanhedrin at this point. They started this thing off examining them, and now Peter has turned it around, and they're the ones being examined. The Holy Spirit is upon Peter on his preaching, and they're the ones that's being put on trial. That's an incredible thing. If the worship team will come up, I'm going to end there this morning. I just want you to think about these things today. What are we doing with this Jesus? Remember, that's the question that Pilate asked. What, what shall I do with this Jesus? What should I do with him? That's the question that comes to every one of you today. If you know him, what are you going to do with this Jesus who died for you, who saved you? If you're lost, what are you going to do with this Jesus? The people back then cried out, crucify him. One thief on the cross, he cried out later and he says, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, and he says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Father, this morning I want to come before you and I just want to praise you, God, for your goodness to us. I ask you, Lord, that you would just, God, be with us. Um, the words that have gone forward, Lord, I, I pray that, that, that what you desire for them to accomplish, that that would be accomplished. Help me, God, that, that I don't just proclaim these words, but I, I practice these, that I live those out in my life. And I pray this morning, God, that your will is done, nothing more and nothing less, that your perfect will, and that you get glory for yourself. Amen.